This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. October the 17th, 2023, midway through October already. Thanksgiving just about a month away. Christmas, my God, Christmas just a couple of months away. Uh, But fortunately, we're still talking baseball. And uh, I couldn't be happier about that. It was uh, um, my wife's probably <laughs> not real happy about it. But uh, baseball started yesterday afternoon, and the Texas Rangers, ladies and gentlemen, have won seven games in a row in these playoffs. It is absolutely unbelievable what they have managed to do uh, in the playoffs so far. Uh, I'm a little I'm a little tired this morning. Uh, I watched that game in the afternoon, and of course I watched the uh, the Phillies game at night. Then I watched the end of the Monday night football game, and then for whatever reason, I, I woke up. My wife had to be to work. She had to open the store up this morning, so she was. I had to get her up at uh, 4:30, and uh, I couldn't go back to sleep. I was out of bed at five in the morning, and. So about four and a half hours of sleep later, here I am. I will try my best not to yawn. I'm, uh, I've got a main line uh, with, with caffeine going in, so hopefully that will keep me going. Um, but the Rangers, uh, now two games to none over the Houston Astros. Nate Evaldi, who, of course, the Red Sox didn't need, so they fig- figured they could let him sign elsewhere. Uh, continues to be dominant in the playoffs. His third strong uh, performance, six innings, struck out nine, walked one. He did give up three earned runs. Two of them were on home runs. At one point, he'd only given up two hits. They were both home runs. And uh, Chaz McCormick had the third hit. Uh, Other than that, he hadn't given up anything. And he showed his guts Last night, and again, this is another one of these cases. I love having these old managers, <laughs> and, and and you know, with with Bruce Bochy in one dugout and Dusty Baker in the other, and then you've got uh, the managers in Philly and in Arizona. They're all like you know in their sixties and seventies, and they manage. Like the old days, they manage by the seat of their pants. I can guarantee you anything you want that if the Red Sox had played in that game last night and they were winning the game, and at the time, uh, actually at the time, Houston or Texas was up five to two because they had scored four runs in the first inning, but the the uh, Astros loaded the bases. 
with nobody out in the bottom of the fifth inning. Evaldi gave up back-to-back singles to Michael Brantley and Chaz McCormick. And then uh, Josh Young, Young, who's been so great at third base, a ball that was hit uh, by Jeremy Pena up the third base line. It was kind of a slow hopper. He tried to catch it on the short hop. It went underneath his glove. Uh, commits the error, bases loaded, nobody out. Now, I guarantee you that Alex Cora is out of the dugout and Nate Valdi's out of that game. Bet the farm on it. But that didn't happen because Bruce Bochy showed some faith in his starting pitcher, who has been so good, not just this season, but in his postseason career. And to make matters worse, Martin Maldonado was supposed to be the next guy up. And Martin Maldonado, they time him from home plate to first with an hourglass. That's how slow he is. Um, So Dusty Baker realizes that this is probably the point in the game where we've got an opportunity to take the lead, maybe blow this thing open a little bit if we can take advantage, bases loaded, nobody out. So he goes to uh, Yerner Diaz off the bench, who was great this year. In 100 games, I mean, he had 23 homers, hit 282. He comes up, and Evaldi strikes him out. Strikes him out. Jose Altuve next, top of the lineup. Strikes him out. And then he gets Alex Bregman to ground out to Young at third base, throws him out, gets out of it. From bases loaded, nobody out, to no runs scoring. And that is why I hate modern baseball and I hate analytics because it's, you know, it was it's another one of those cases where they would tell you, get him out. Never mind his history. We got to get him out. We can't. We can't let pitchers work out of trouble. That's the problem today, and it starts. By the way, not at the major league level. This stuff starts in high school, in college, where you don't let guys work out of trouble, and in the minor leagues, you don't let them work out of trouble. You gotta. We gotta baby these guys. Let them work. Let them work, and they let Nate Evaldi work out of that bases-loaded jam, gets out of it. Um, they do end up getting a runoff of Evaldi in the sixth. They get another run in the eighth. Aroldis Chapman comes in. He gets the first two outs, and then Jordan Alvarez hits his second home run of the game on the first pitch he saw from Chapman out. And now it's a 5-4 game going into the ninth inning. He then proceeds uh, to get lifted from the game. They bring in LeClerc for a four-out save. What does he do? He walks the first two guys he faces. He walks Abreu and Brantley, and, I, and you know the pucker factor in that game just went up. Because now it's a one-run game. They've got two on. And, look, Aroldis Chapman is in Texas for a reason. He couldn't handle the pressure in New York. Ended up going to Kansas City. And if there's, you know, a more uh, nondescript place to play than Kansas City, I don't know what is. Kansas City traded him to Texas, and here he is in in, in a pressure cooker 
and you're like, you know, he gets the first couple outs, gives up the home run, and you're like, oh, my God. So LeClerc walks the first two guys, and you're like, oh, Lord. But then uh, he gets McCormick to ground out. They get out of trouble. And then uh, in the ninth inning, it's one, two, three, and Texas now has a two games to none lead. And the Houston Astros, folks, uh, look, this isn't over. And if you're a Red Sox fan, <laughs> you know, remember when the Red Sox were down 3 nothing to the Yankees back in 2004, came back and won that series. This isn't over. And you could make the case that the Astros are actually in a good place. I, it, and this is going to sound completely ridiculous, but the Astros are going on the road for the next three games. I mean, technically, this thing could be over by next Friday. I mean, by Friday, this Friday. They're off today. And then they play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in Texas. The Astros are a much better team on the road than they are at home. In the regular season at home, the Astros were 39-42. and 42. They were under 500 at home. And they're 1-3 at home in the playoffs this year. So maybe maybe they got the Rangers right where they want them. They're gonna they go into go into Texas and and sweep three. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it's just bizarre. A, a team as good as the Astros can be as bad as they are in their home ballpark. And now and, and look, I think Houston has an opportunity here. Uh, Christian Javier is going to pitch for them in Game 3. He threw five scoreless innings in Game 3 of the Division Series. And he's going against Max Scherzer. Now, you know, normally you'd say, well, it's Max Scherzer. Texas, you know, advantage Texas. Max Scherzer hasn't pitched since September the 12th because of a muscle strain in his shoulder. And he's been working hard to try to come back we don't know what Max Scherzer has. How you know? Look, after being on the shelf for over a month, right, almost five weeks. How sharp can he be? How deep can he go? I mean, is this going to be he starts the game and is limited to, you know, fifty, sixty pitches? Don't know. And knowing, you know, Bruce Bochy hasn't said anything. And Bruce Bochy has said, look, Scherzer's kind of wearing me out with this thing. He wants to pitch. And if he's pitching well, if if we're into the fourth, if he's go through four innings and he's got a shutout, even if he's at like 60 pitches and Bruce Bochy tries to take him out, Max Scherzer might punch him in the face. <laughs> Max is going to be like, no, I'm not leaving this game. But we'll see. You know, I mean, uh, and, and, you know, Max hasn't been – Vintage Max all season. Of course, he started the year with the Mets. So uh, we'll see. But anyway, this could uh, they will have the day off today, and uh, Texas can take a deep breath and see if they can continue to do what they did all season, which was play, you know, 15 games over 500 on the road. But if Texas wins two out of three at home, this is over. In the uh, other game last night, 
The Phillies beat the Diamondbacks 5-3. Not a surprise. It actually looked like this was going to be a blowout. It was 4-0 at the end of 3, 5-0 at the end of 5, and then all of a sudden Arizona woke up a little bit. Perdomo with a home run off of Zach Wheeler in the 6th to make it 5-2. They get another one in the 7th off of Sir Anthony Dominguez, who couldn't find the strike zone. But Alvarado was great last night. Uh, got five outs on like 16 pitches. And then Craig Kimbrell looked like vintage Craig Kimbrell in the ninth inning to pick up the save. And the Phillies take game one of the NLCS. Bryce Harper, a home run on his 31st birthday. A bomb, 420 feet. Uh Kyle Schwarber hit his first home run of the playoffs. Took Zach Gallen deep. And then Nick Castellanos did it again. Nick Castellanos, his fifth home run in his last three playoff games. The only other player to ever do that, Reggie Jackson for the Yankees back in 1977. And he hit three of those in one game. So... Uh, Castellanos has been unconscious. But Zach Wheeler has been the ace of this staff all year. Goes six, gives up two runs, eight strikeouts, didn't walk anybody. And uh, Aaron Nola will pitch tonight. He'll go against Merrill Kelly. Look, everybody expects the Phillies to win this thing. I sure do. And if you are Arizona, you know what you're worried about? You're worried that Kyle Schwarber hit a home run last night. You know, every he's been, you know, look, he, he hit home runs all over the place in the regular season and has been basically the invisible man in the playoffs as far, far as power goes. But he hit 47 with 104 runs batted in in the regular season. What's amazing about Schwarber, think about this. 47 and 104, he hit under 200. He hit 197 for the season. 197. This guy is a 227 career hitter. You know who he is? Uh, some of you are probably too young um, to remember, but there was a guy, I'm trying to remember, he played for uh, Milwaukee back in the 70s, and all he did, he either hit a home run or he struck out. That's what Kyle Schwarber is. 215 strikeouts, 47 home runs, and he hit 197. But he got one last night. And if and as I said, if you're Arizona, you're worried. Why? Because if you remember last year, everybody was worried about Schwarber last year too. He didn't hit any home runs in the wild card round. He didn't hit any in the NLDS. But between the NLCS and the World Series, Schwarber ended up with six home runs in the playoffs last year. So if he's finding that power groove – and you're Arizona, you're a little nervous. Uh, so as I said, the second game in that one tonight, Aaron Nola, by the way, in the postseason, 2-0 with a 1-4-2 ERA. Merrill Kelly's only pitched one game, and he didn't give up any runs. So it should be, theoretically, a low-scoring game tonight. Uh, but uh, this Phillies team is hitting the ball like nobody's business, just clubbing home runs everywhere. And I think this could... I don't – this could go maybe five. But there's no doubt that the Phillies are winning this series. And my people are from Philly, so, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, 
Interesting comments yesterday by Bryce Harper uh, when it was announced that the International Olympic Committee is going to bring baseball back to the Olympics in 2028 in Los Angeles. Bryce Harper wants to play in the Olympics. He said, look, he said, it'd be my dream to play, uh, you know, for Team USA. He said, you know, you talk about wanting to grow the game. He said, that's the way you grow it at the highest peak. And he thinks that Major League Baseball should take a break and let Major League players play in the Olympics. You know, you think about it, you know, it was in the Olympics in the uh, 1992 and was in it for like, I think, three straight Olympics. And then it got dropped after the 2008 games. It got brought back for the Tokyo Games just because Japan is fanatical about baseball, so they let it come back for 2020. But And, and then it wasn't in, in Paris in 2024. But think about this. He's absolutely right. Baseball is, you know, the NFL is playing games in London, in Frankfurt, Germany, This, you know, and they've been doing that for the last year. It's the dumbest thing ever. I don't understand it. It makes no sense. They are not going to play football in London. Anybody that thinks they're going to put an NFL team in Europe is dreaming. And I think it I think it draws now because it's a novelty. But remember they tried to do NFL Europe. It was a disaster. So I don't get it. Baseball on the other hand, with the World Baseball Classic, baseball has actually gained a foothold in a lot of places, by the way, including the UK. You know, and look what happened uh, uh, this last year with with some some of the teams in places where you don't expect uh, baseball to be a big thing. And winning games. There's baseball in Italy. There's baseball in the Netherlands. There's baseball in Eastern Europe in places. It's all over Asia, and of course we all know about South America and and Central America. It makes sense for baseball. The NHL used to shut down and allow NHL players to play in the Winter Olympics. Now they stopped doing that uh, in 2018, which I think is a mistake. I understand the seasons are really long, and I understand there's a risk, but look, if Major League Baseball is going to allow their guys to play in the World Baseball Classic, and I know it's during spring training, so there's no, you know, you're you're not losing guys, you know, in the middle of the year, but what's wrong with either shutting shutting the league down for a couple of weeks, build in some doubleheaders, you know, do that every four years when the Olympics, just build in some doubleheaders so so that you can accommodate guys being able to play for their teams or making a limit that, you know, each team can lose. You can't take more than one guy off of a team. You know, so maybe, uh, you know, Team USA loses, uh, you know, gets one guy from the Phillies, one guy from the Red Sox, et cetera, you know, and allow them to be put on some kind of an exemplist so that they can, uh, the team can replace them for that short time as if it's an injury. I don't know if that's going to be palatable either. I'd rather just see him shut it down. But Bryce Harper carries a lot of weight these days. And Mike Trout is the same kind of guy. He would love to do this. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But it it makes sense to me 
uh, for baseball to do that. I think it was a mistake when the NHL stopped doing it. I and and, and by the way, it not just was it a mistake. It was you know it's a killer for the United States because the best United States players are in the NHL, and to expect a bunch of college kids to go in there uh, against pros is not going to happen. It's well, it it could. I mean, I guess that's what happened basically in the. Uh, the Lake Placid Olympics, right back in 1980, it was a bunch of college kids beating professionals from Russia. And what a great moment it was. But at the end of the day, you want to have your best players out there for the Olympics. And, and I know there's injury issues, et cetera, but I'm a huge fan. of The, the Olympics are one of those things when it happens every four years, I, I eat it up. The Summer Olympics way more than the Winter Olympics. Um, but – I think I think that Major League Baseball should do it. I don't know that they will, but we'll see. Um, Red Sox news. Uh, they still don't have a general manager or a, a president of baseball operations. And Sam Fold was a guy from the Philadelphia Phillies they had on their radar, and he has basically said thanks, but no thanks. So he we now know that he is not interested. So where are the Red Sox going? They've had more people turn them down that have actually said that they're interested. Uh, one name that has suddenly popped up is Neil Huntington. Um, Huntington is a guy who was the GM for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, and, you know, this was reported by Rob Bradford in Boston, and uh, a couple other uh, national reporters picked up on it. So he's supposedly interested. I'm just going to say this. No. Why? He was a GM in Pittsburgh. They don't spend any money in Pittsburgh. And I, and he was, and he, by the way, he worked with the Guardians last season. They don't spend money in Cleveland either. The only thing that Neil Huntington has going for him, in my opinion, is that he's a New Hampshire native. So maybe, maybe he understands the culture in Boston and how rabid fans are in Boston and how we can't have Heimblum kind of operations going on in Boston. It's not acceptable. If, if indeed the ownership is telling us the truth and that this was not about money with Heimblum, this was about a shift in philosophy by Heimblum, if, if ownership is telling us the truth, maybe Neil Huntington would get it and maybe he could do a good job, but I don't, I don't want another guy coming from a – an organization or two organizations in Pittsburgh and Cleveland that don't spend money, that are looking to get bargains and are looking to lowball people. I don't want that. We just went through that. Boston fans are not going to tolerate this forever. And look, folks, again, I know I'm older than dirt, but I remember times back in the 70s, the early 70s, when the Red Sox stunk, and you'd watch a game, and it'd be 10, 15,000 people at Fenway. Now, I don't know if we would get to that point if this team continues to finish in last place a couple more years. I wouldn't be surprised. 
So I'm not sure that Neil Huntington's the the way to go. I'm not sure that, and I mentioned Kim Ang yesterday after she left the Marlins. I'm not sure she's the answer either. She came from another organization that doesn't spend money. When you look, other, you know, look, she made a couple of savvy trades, you know, and, and bringing in, uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of guys that can swing the bat. But it, when you look at the majority of her free agent signings and other people that she acquired during the year, other than, like I said, like the trade for Luisa Rise, which was great, most of the other people that she brought in there were kind of middling kind of players. Guys that used to have promise and haven't fulfilled it. You know, a guy like A.J. Puck, who was with the A's for so long and, you know, fought injuries and stuff, and he was okay. But if you look at most of the signings that she made, it wasn't anything to, you know that you went, wow. By and large, she, she made a couple of decent trades, but they didn't spend money either. So I'm not sure she's the answer either. I don't know who the answer is. It might be Eddie Romero, the internal candidate from the Red Sox. Eddie Romero has been there forever. He was a large part of the reason why the Red Sox have a lot of those Dominican players that they have now including Rafi Devers, because he was the point person on, you know, making those guys comfortable with coming to Boston. So uh, he might be the answer. Another guy that's name has that's been floated that is kind of interesting is Craig Breslow. Now, Breslow's been doing some work with the Cubs. Craig Breslow's from Trumbull, Connecticut. Craig Breslow is a Yale graduate. This guy uh, is brilliant. You know, and uh, if you remember, Theo Epstein was an Ivy Leaguer. Maybe, maybe there's something to the maybe there's something to the Ivy League thing. I don't know, but Breslow is kind of an interesting idea. You know, I mean, this would be a a big jump in responsibility for him. But he certainly understands Red Sox culture, having pitched in the majors for 12 years, having lived in New England. Now, I know in Trouble Connecticut is the Yankee side of New- of Connecticut. Connecticut's kind of split in half, and if you're west of Hartford, it's Yankee territory. If you're east of Hartford, it's it's um, more Red Sox territory. But, but Craig Breslow certainly understands that culture. So that would be interesting. So we'll see, but uh, we're still, you know, we still haven't had any official interviews. So I'm just waiting to see, you know, look, free agency is going to start in a few weeks. The Red Sox need to get this done before the World Series is over. Because guys like Aaron Nola are going to be free agents at the end of the World Series. That's when the Red Sox need to be ready to strike. They cannot wait too much longer to get this done. It's 33 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We've got one more uh, baseball thing to talk about. Trevor May retired yesterday. Trevor May, who was in the uh, majors for nine seasons, uh, relief pitcher. It wasn't the fact that he retired yesterday. It's how he did it. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call 
here on a Tuesday morning. By the way, no show tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, take a couple of days off, um, but we'll be back on Friday uh, with Dan. So uh, no show tomorrow or Thursday. Um, so Trevor May retired yesterday. He pitched for the Oakland Athletics last year, but uh, nine seasons, uh, six of them with the Twins, uh, a couple with the Mets, and then uh, finished last year with the A's. And uh, he announced his retirement uh, in a video yesterday. I believe that was on uh, Twitter. And part of his announcement that he was retiring was a rant about the owner of the athletics, John Fisher. And when I tell you a rant, this may be (laughs) the biggest undressing I have ever seen a player do in baseball history. I have never heard a player call out an owner the way that Trevor May did. And here is what he said. Sell the team, dude. Let someone who actually takes pride in the things they own, own something. There's people who give a you-know-what about the game. You said the S word. You said, let them do it. Take mommy and daddy's money somewhere else, you dork. (laughs) And also, if you're going to be a greedy you-know-what, own it. He said, there's nothing weaker than being afraid of cameras. He said, that's the one thing I really struggled with all year, not just eviscerating that guy. Do what you're going to do, bro. You're whatever. You're a billionaire. You guys have all the power. You shouldn't have any because you didn't earn any of it. Holy crap. And look, He's just saying what Oakland Athletics fans have been saying all year. It's probably the same thing that all of his teammates were thinking all along. But to have him actually come out and say this stuff was beautiful. Uh, even Chris Bassett, by the way, you know who pitches uh, for the Mets now, said or, or for the uh, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays said. Uh, I just think if you're not in the game to try to win a World Series, then I don't think you should be an owner. I really don't. And he's right. Bassett said it a lot more tactfully than Trevor May did, but man, what a beautiful way to go. Do I think it's going to make any difference? No. You know, I mean, uh, there's supposedly already a deal in place to move the team to Las Vegas after the 2024 season. Supposed to have, uh, supposed to seat 30,000 people with a retractable roof. Um, You know, but, and this, you know, it'll be the fourth city for this franchise, by the way. Don't forget, they started in Philly, uh, played there till the uh, mid-50s. Then they went to Kansas City into the mid, mid to late 60s. And then they've been in Oakland, I think, since 68. But I don't think it's going to make any difference unless Major League Baseball is going to step in and, and uh, you know, force him to sell the team. And I'm not sure what kind of legal hurdles that would take. But, oh, my God, Trevor May. Uh, don't know him. I mean, I know who he is. Never followed his career that closely. But he's one of my favorite people on earth now. 
I just love that he did that. Love it. Uh, the NFL last night, the uh, thing that kept me up late and for whatever reason waking up at, you know, not being able to get up and being up or going back to sleep and being up since 5 a.m. is uh, I'm going to blame the Chargers and the Cowboys because uh, I was probably overtired. Uh, the Chargers lose again. They lose to the Cowboys last night, 20-17. to 17. Dak Prescott, pretty good game. Uh, despite being sacked five times, threw for 272 yards and a touchdown, ran for another score, had seven carries for 40 yards, um, and did enough. I mean, he there were a couple of times that uh, he was in big trouble after getting sacked five times. There were a couple of times he was able to keep a play alive with his feet and throw the ball. You know, he, he threw one ball to uh, – uh, to Pollard when he was in deep trouble, and Pollard ended up gaining like you know fifty or sixty yards on the play. Um, and and don't get me wrong, Dak, Dak Prescott has not had a good year, but that was a win uh, that the Cowboys needed last night, no doubt about it. And now the Chargers are under five hundred at two and at two and three. Brandon Staley, their head coach, is a moron. Uh, you know, there are times that you have to take the points when you're down at the goal line. And there were, you know, it, it saw a time last night where they had a chance to kick a field goal on a fourth and one in a tight game, chose not to do it, got stuffed on fourth down, had to give the ball back. Just dumb. Uh, Justin Herbert, the very good Chargers quarterback, was not very good last night. He only, he threw a pick, only got sacked once, but he missed more passes last night. I mean, just throwing the ball over the top of receivers' heads, throwing the ball behind receivers. I, I don't know that I've seen him miss that many throws in a game. Finished 22 of 37, and of the 15 misses that he had, probably, you know, seven or eight of them were just horrendous passes. Chargers ended up with under 300 yards of offense. Uh, You know, they were excited to get Austin Eckler back. Eckler ran the ball 14 times for 27 yards. Yikes. You know, Justin Herbert was their second leading rusher, six carries for 20 yards. I mean, they just could not run the ball at all. I mean, look, Dallas didn't run it well either. I mean, they held Tony Pollard to just 30 yards on 15 carries. Dak Prescott was their leading rusher last night. Uh, Keenan Allen tried to keep the Chargers in it, made seven catches. A couple of them were circus catches. You know, even uh, some of the completions that Herbert made were just bad throws. And, you know, fortunately having Keenan Allen there, you know, saved him. But – Just a poor performance by the Chargers. And by the way, our our boys Dan Zampano had uh, predicted a Charger win last night. Uh, Didn't go well for Dan this week. Three and four week on his picks. He's still over 500 on the season, but uh, the last couple of weeks have been rough for him. Uh, But the Chargers are just brutal. Just brutal. And now the Chargers get to play at Kansas City this week. And the Chiefs have beaten them the last three times they've played, and they are going to beat them like a drum this week. The Cowboys are off this week. They will host the Rams um, on the following week. But that was a big win 
for the Cowboys last night. They needed that to keep themselves in the hunt for the NFC East title with Philly losing this week and Dallas winning. Now there's just one game that separates the top two teams in the division. Uh, you know, there's a big difference. If they had been three and three, they would have been tied with Washington for God's sake. You know, but now they keep themselves just a game back of Philly. So a good win for the Cowboys last night. Uh, some quarterback news around the league. Uh, Raiders got some good news. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo does not have any internal damage from that back injury. They don't know his availability for this week. It is questionable at best. Uh, my guess is he's not going to play, but uh, at least there's no uh, internal injuries. So uh, as uh, Josh McDaniels put it, he said, uh, we dodged a bullet. Uh, but it, it could be Brian Hoyer could be starting a quarterback for the Raiders this week, or it could be Aiden O'Connell. But uh, Hoyer came off the bench last week and uh, helped the Raiders beat the Patriots. So uh, it was 6 of 10 for 102 yards. I mean, nothing spectacular, but uh, a 15-year veteran might be the guy that the Raiders have to turn to uh, just, well, just because it's the smart thing to do instead of giving it to a young kid, Aiden O'Connell. I think uh, Hoyer probably gets to start this week. So that was good news. The bad news is for the Colts, Anthony Richardson, probably done for the year, um, is probably going to need shoulder surgery. Jim say the owner of the Colts, announced that on ESPN yesterday. Uh, there was some talk about maybe trying to rehab the thing, but it looks like it's going to be Gardner Gardner Minshew for the rest of the year for the Colts. Look, the Colts are 3-3 three and three, to the surprise of a lot of people. But without Anthony Richardson, um, I'm not sure that that's, uh, that's going to go well for them. Uh, the other injury news, uh, Trevor Lawrence is day-to-day with a sprained knee. They're supposed to play Thursday night against the Saints. Uh, so Lawrence's availability for that game is in doubt. Uh, Jacksonville leads the AFC South. They can't afford to be without him, so they have to hope that that's not too bad. Uh, and Justin Fields uh, dislocated the thumb on his throwing hand, so uh, he is not going to be playing this week. Now, at the end of the day, not that it's going to make a whole hell of a lot of difference uh, but uh, uh, for the, the Bears because they stink, but he is going to be out this week. Uh, Baker Mayfield hurt his hand in the loss to the Lions, uh, he is uh, a day-to-day situation as well. And Ryan Tannehill um, was injured in the Titans' loss this week. Uh, they are hoping uh, he will be ready to go uh, with their next game. The good news for them is they have a week off uh, to get him better. Um, some college football news. Uh, University of Georgia, Brock Bowers, uh, who is probably the best tight end in the country, there, well, actually, he is. There's no question about it. He leads Georgia with 41 catches for almost 600 yards, four touchdowns. He can run the ball. He is uh, a, an exciting player to watch. Well, he injured his ankle in the game last week against Vanderbilt. He is going to have surgery today, and he is going to be out at least a month. He's going to have what they call tightrope surgery. He has a high ankle sprain, and they're going to uh, uh, this particular procedure – they stabilize the ankle with a surgical thread uh, rather than using screws, and it uh, it reduces the rehab time to four to six weeks. So he is going to miss uh, at least three SEC games uh, against Florida, Missouri, and then number 13, Mississippi. If it goes any longer than that, 
you know, we'll see. But uh, he is going to be out for at least the next four weeks for Georgia. Of course, they're trying to win an unprecedented third straight national title. And they were just starting to play like the Georgia team that you expected. You know, they'd been a little bit shaky earlier in the season, uh, but they'd been looking really, really good. But losing Bowers for a month is certainly not going to help uh, their chances to uh, for the three-peat. 48 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 50 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. The AP poll has come out, the first preseason poll for men's basketball. We are just, believe it or not, a couple of weeks away from the start of men's basketball. I think some of the preseason or the early season tournaments start the first week of November. Um, And Kansas, the preseason number one team, they got 46 of the 63 first place votes. Uh, Look, Kansas... A bit of a flop last year. I mean, as much as you can have a flop, I guess. They won the 2022 national title, of course. But then they lost to Texas in the Big 12 championship. And then they lost to Arkansas in the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Now, of course, they were without their head coach, Bill Self, uh, for those games because he had had to have a medical procedure. He's 60 years old. He had to have a valve replaced in his heart. So he was not on the sidelines for that one. But they've got uh, three returning starters. Uh, they've got one of the top 50 recruits in the country. They got uh, Hunter Dickinson, who is a transfer from Michigan. They are loaded, and uh, I think uh, a right a, the right choice for number one. Duke was picked number two, followed by Purdue at number three. Uh, Michigan State was fourth, which, by the way, is its highest ranking since December of 2020. And Marquette uh, rounded out the top five and. Uh, UConn, the defending national champions, they were picked sixth. They got two first-place votes, uh, but losing Adama Sanogo and Jordan Hawkins really hurt them. They still have uh, a lot of talent, but it's a lot of young talent. A lot, And a lot is being put on the shoulders of Donovan Klingon, the big kid, but this is a kid that only averaged 13 uh, minutes a game last year. So they're going to be asking for a big jump from Klingon this year if they're going to to compete. And and by the way, if Klingon does what they think he's going to do this year, this will be his last year at UConn. He'll get drafted, and he'll be in the NBA next year. Just size alone will, will make that happen. Uh, rounding out the top ten was Houston, Creighton, uh, Tennessee, and then uh, Florida Atlantic, who, by the way, uh, returns just about everybody from a team that was 35-4 and four last year. Remember, they made that – Final four run that nobody saw coming. Uh, but uh, SEC, five teams in the, in the uh, top 25, uh, and the Big 12 and the Big East with uh, four apiece. So that's where we are as far as uh, men's basketball goes. Uh, and the Celtics, uh, it came out over the weekend. The Celtics made a rather sneaky move. That no, Talk about an under-the-radar move. When they hired Jeff Van Gundy uh, to be a consultant for the Celtics, and, of course, Van Gundy is a guy that, you know, former coach of the Knicks and uh, has worked for ESPN and ABC for the last 15 or so years and got laid off at the end of last year. And he is a really good analyst on television. I mean, he's good, real good. Well, got laid off, so not much else to do. So the Celtics reached out to him, and he is going to be there all season to work with the coaching staff uh, 
not just in Boston, but as well as with their G League team in Maine. Uh, somebody for uh, Brad Stevens, the general manager, to bounce things off of. And uh, Joe Mazzula, the head coach who needs all the help he can get. And, you know, one of the things the Celtics did this year is uh, uh, they got some more veteran presence on the bench with him for assistant coaches. And now they've got Van Gundy for him to use as well. But having Sam Cassell and Charles Lee on the coaching staff is going to help him a lot. And Van Gundy, you know, you can look at this two ways if you're Missoula. If you're paranoid, <laughs> because there's been, there was some talk that Van Gundy, who I think is only 61 years old, there's been some, you know, there was some rumblings that after he got let go that he might be interested in getting back into coaching again. If you're a paranoid Joe Missoula and the Celtics get off to a slow start, you might be looking over your shoulders upstairs wondering if your replacement is a couple of hundred yards away. That's if you're paranoid. If you're confident in what you're doing and you know you're, I mean, look, this team is loaded. When, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum there, and then the the uh, the addition of uh, Porzingis, I mean, th- this team is going to be a beast. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see which way this goes. But if you're the Celtics, having a mind like Van Gundy's to pick during the year is a great thing. But also having that safety valve. If Missoula struggles, if the team struggles to start the season, knowing you've got Van Gundy, Van Gundy there if you need him, could be a good feeling. And look, there was talk last year that at one point Missoula had lost the locker room. I don't know how true that was, but he's a young coach. And, you know, they put him into a situation where he was maybe a little bit over his head, which is why, you know, the changes in the assistant coaching staff this year. But it's also entirely possible, if things don't go well, that the next Celtics coach is already in the building. That's going to do it for us here this morning, and we'll be back Friday uh, with the wake-up call. Dan Zampano will join us then. So uh, we're going to take a couple of days off. My wife's off for a couple of days, so uh, we've got some stuff we want to do here. So enjoy your Wednesday and Thursday. We'll look forward to talking to you on Friday. It's Alan Jackson's birthday today, birthday number 65. In honor of that, Here's we're all God's children. We'll see you on Friday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.